0: This is Macro Horizons, monthly episode 12, Primary Night Live, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Margaret Karens, here with Ian Linging, John Hill, Greg Anderson, Dan Kreider, and Dan Belton from our FIC macro strategy team to bring you our top observations heading into the US presidential primary elections and what these themes mean for US rates High-quality spreads and foreign exchange markets. Each month, members from BMO's FIC macro strategy team join me for a roundtable focusing on relevant and timely topics that impact our markets please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at margaret.carens at bmo.com with questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear more about on future episodes. We value your input and appreciate your ideas and suggestions. Thanks for joining us.
1: The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. In today's
0: podcast, we consider the Democratic candidates' main platforms and their potential economic impact as we think about the primary elections. We note that all of the candidates have some common ground concerning rolling back the Trump tax cuts, increasing individual taxes further, and expanding health care. While there's common ground, the spectrum is wide, and this will impact the market's perception of electability depending on the frontrunner. Okay, so with the primaries kicking off February 3rd, what are we thinking?
2: Well, one thing that we can say with a degree of certainty is that the primaries may actually be secondary to the coronavirus. But at the end of the day, assuming we get through the issues that are currently facing the Asian population and the globe to some extent, we will once again find ourselves refocused on the ever-evolving U.S. political landscape.
3: The caucuses are February 3rd, but Super Tuesday is early and big this year. That's March 3rd. And I do think that market themes will shift back to the election and and the Democratic Party
2: by the time we are at March 3rd and probably a week or two ahead of it. Well, we know it's difficult to predict who looks best and who's going to come out of the primaries with a nod on the Democratic side. But what do you think in terms of the two extremes? We have Couple moderate candidates, we have a couple left-leaning candidates, and they have different ramifications for the economy and the economic outlook.
3: Yeah, so if you kind of look at the probability mass that's priced into the election futures markets, the far left wing, and, and I'll call that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, you know, sums up to about fifty percent, and the I'll call it the moderate wing, and. Joe Biden leading there, but you know I'll put Mayor Pete in there and I'll put Mike Bloomberg in there, also sums up to a probability mass of about 50%. It could go either way.
2: And I would certainly expect that to play out in risk assets. One of our primary themes for the year was that the higher the probability that the White House goes to the Democrats, the more negative that will ultimately be for domestic equities. There is a point in which electability becomes an issue. And you might have a strong showing on the Democratic side, but whether or not that candidate can actually take those final steps into the Oval Office will be in question.
0: I think, Ian, you raise a really good point that electability is going to play a big role in the primaries. But the reality is that all of the Democratic candidates have a few major things in common, such as the rollback of the tax cuts that Trump instituted, increases on corporate taxes and individuals, and expanded health care. Now, the degree of these programs would be different under a far left, but electability might be lower And the chance of the far-left policies actually being implemented is quite lower than that of the moderate. But regardless, these policies would be negative for the equity markets and negative for spreads in general.
2: Wait, so all of the student debt in the U.S. isn't being abolished?
4: Not without cost, Ian.
2: (laughs) One of the things that when one thinks about some of the more dramatic proposals in terms of the left Democrats abolishing student debt, while I don't think it will happen, would have a direct and immediate implication for personal consumption, and it would really boost the economy. I don't think that there's the political will to do that. There's also all the damage that would do to the education system, as well as dividing an already divided country. But it's not as crazy of an idea as one might think. If anything, I could see it coming to fruition in terms of an increased deductibility of student debt. So perhaps they toss in with the next round of tax reforms principle in addition to just interest payments. So how are we going to pay for all this? John, what do you think it means to the funding market and issuance?
5: Well, it probably doesn't mean that issuance is going to get any lower, but the actual scale is what's going to be important here. And more particularly, when it comes to the funding market, right, there are three coinciding factors in any one moment. There's the amount of cash in the system, aka reserves. There's the amount of collateral. And there's the regulatory constraint on balance sheets what we have to think about is how those three would interact with each other. If you get a Democratic White House coupled with a left-leaning Congress, it's very unlikely that you're going to see a large regulatory pullback. You're probably going to see large spending. Those two combined certainly look like it would create structural upward pressure on repo. And I would imagine also have consequences for other asset classes, namely FX. Um- Actually, you know, for FX, yes, increased treasury issuance
3: and monetizing it is negative for the dollar, but I'll tell you what I think is a bigger negative. Democratic president comes in with a lot of new regulations that basically ban fracking. That is a huge market mover because the US becoming a net exporter of crude and products has been, I would argue, monumentally positive for the dollar over the last couple of years pushed it higher and prevented gravity from bringing it back down, that shift would just be huge. And I, I assume that it has some impact on spreads.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Greg. And I think we've kind of covered a lot of bases here. We've talked about tax increases, fracking, health care for all, abolishment of student loan debt. I think what's clear at this point is that if a Democrat were to ultimately take office, it would be a negative for the business environment and likely the economy more broadly, And that's not being reflected in risk assets so far. I mean, looking at spreads in the corporate market, we're at near historical tights and the stock markets near all time highs. So I think it's safe to say at this point, the market certainly isn't pricing in a democratic win. Now, whether that's because the situation is too muddled for investors to make informed investment decisions, or if it's because there's some skepticism that the Democrat can actually beat the incumbent, to me, the financial markets aren't pricing in a Democratic nominee. And I think over the course of the next six months, there's going to have to be some chance of a Democrat taking the Oval Office pricing into financial markets. And then the key question becomes, how electable is the candidate that emerges from the Democratic Party? And that's where you're going to see the main impact of the primaries. That question is going to start to clarify a bit. And Margaret, what are your thoughts on the potential evolution of the primaries and what that means for the electability of the Democratic nominee?
0: I think, Daniel raised a really good point that the primaries right now seem very muddled. We don't have Bloomberg even entering into the primaries until Super Tuesday. And we don't have a real clear front runner for the markets to price it. If the muddled situation continues after the primaries begin, the chance of the Senate flipping to Democrats starts to decrease, and that basically means you'd have a split Congress tying the hands of whoever may be elected if it was one of the Democratic nominees. So that could be part of the market pricing. So as the primaries evolve, if we do get a clear front runner and there's some momentum behind that front runner, the chances of the Senate flipping might start to increase. We really won't know that until much closer to the election. And that's where you could get some of the risk being priced in. The flip side of it is, Greg, in this muddled environment, what does that mean for the convention?
3: Yeah, that's an excellent question. You know, on the muddled nature of the situation, let me just point out a a couple of data points. First off, in real clear politics, kind of poll polls of head-to-heads, pretty much all the Democrats pull ahead of Trump. So supposedly, Bernie Sanders, you know, three points ahead of of Trump and ahead to head. But in the political futures market that are traded on predicted.org, a Republican winning the White House has 52% implied probability and a Democrat 48. So what's going on there? And it appears that the markets, to the extent that they can price this, price something different than the head-to-head polling numbers. And I think for equities or FX or or fixed income, you just kind of throw up your hands and say, not not yet. It's it's too early to price it, but it probably does have to get priced coming into or, or out of Super Tuesday. So going back to your question, Margaret, about the convention, I do think that there are higher odds than normal that we don't have a frontrunner, someone with the majority of delegates going into the convention. So at that point, we, we have a brokered convention and no result until July 13th to 16th. And all of a sudden, that time period becomes a special date for financial markets and options and so forth that span that
2: period, start to price in extraordinary vol premiums. Well, we've been talking quite a bit about the electability of a Democrat versus Trump, and what hasn't come up is the fact that the U.S. economy still seems to be on relatively strong footing. And an incumbent who's not faced with a recession into their election campaign tends to perform reasonably well.
5: To dig into the stats a little bit better, if we go back to 1900, every single time an incumbent has run for re-election without a recession in the second half of their first term, they've been re-elected. Now, again, those are heuristics, but that's at least a relatively powerful one. And at the end of the day, there's that old politics joke that it's the economy, stupid, and we have a 3.5% unemployment rate to some extent, I think that that speaks
2: to the divergence that we're seeing between political futures and the actual head-to-head polling. Now, when that resolves and how that resolves is the great unknown of 2020. But one of my biggest takeaways from 2016 was that the market doesn't trade the candidate, they trade the party. And so the idea that, risk assets will be vulnerable to that notion into the election still resonates with me, at least.
4: I agree with you, Ian. The impact on risk assets is going to accelerate alongside increasing probabilities that a Democrat could eventually win in November. So if we're looking at different scenarios for how the primaries could play out, I think the most challenging scenarios for risk assets here will be one where a single Democratic candidate quickly emerges, perhaps even before Super Tuesday, where the Democratic Party can throw all of their support behind a moderate, if it's Biden, or even a far left candidate, if it's Sanders or Warren. If the Democrats have a clear leader, it would imply that the Democratic vote can unite behind that candidate. As we talked about earlier, Democratic policies, whether it's far left or more moderate, no matter what, A Democrat taking office is likely going to be negative for the business environment and more broadly the economy. So if we have a clear winner start to emerge, I think that's when you start to see risk assets underperform and potentially a mini flight to quality.
2: One thing that I would add to that is if we see a far left candidate emerge early, that increases the probability that we see a full sweep to the Democratic side in November because the most conceivable way that Bernie Sanders takes the Oval Office is if the sentiment in the U.S. is so anti- The current administration that they want to flip not only the White House, but also the Senate. And I think that has even bigger ramifications for the policy outlook.
0: Ian, to your point on that, I think that in the event you get the far left candidate and a flip in the Senate, you do increase the probability of some of these far left policies being implemented even though there's an extraordinary cost involved, and some of them aren't that practical. And this could get into the whole MMT issue and the market starting to price into that. So while it's a lower probability event of getting the far-left policies implemented, the tail is just much fatter.
4: Yeah, it's a much fatter tale. And I agree with Ian. If Warren or Sanders were to take office, I think it's more than likely that the Senate would flip for the exact reasons Ian discussed. 2016 is a, is a great example of this. We had eight years of Obama's president, and towards the end, the Obama presidency was not uh, polling very well in terms of approval ratings. And you can interpret the Trump win and Republican sweep of Congress as as much a vote against the Democratic Party as you can a vote for Trump and the Republicans. So. If voter sentiment has shifted to the point where a far left candidate like Bernie or Elizabeth Warren can be elected, it's not hard to envision the Senate flipping in such a scenario.
3: That would depend on on the issues on the table, actually, when we get closer to the election. So right now, we issues we have that, you know, we could argue about it. But Trump is corrupt and kind of has a, an abrasive style. And then we have the economy. But something else could come along between now and the election It completely swings voter sentiment. And that's where you get the Democratic sweep. I don't know if having that Democratic candidate known early or late makes much of a difference. It's the issue that will drive it if we have some new issue come along.
0: So Greg, I think you raise an interesting point in We've been talking about the possibility of a Democratic sweep, a Democratic nominee winning the election. The markets are currently pricing to a Trump win, given equity valuations and whatnot. What happens if Trump does win? How much more can this run?
2: So my response to that, and I think it's very analytical and well thought out, is yes, and by that i mean we're going to have an elimination of all the uncertainties that a democrat in the white house would pose but. We still know that there's a lot of trade uncertainty, a lot of geopolitical unknowns with the current president. And so not to say that we're trading what we know for what we don't know or vice versa, but that will really be one of the primary drivers post-election.
0: Going back to 2016, we were wrong. We were wrong in the expected market reaction in the event of a Republican sweep. In what way may we be wrong in the event of a Democrat sweep? Because in the event of a Democrat sweep, you get all of that political discord that's currently going on eliminated. And a unified government actually sometimes is able to do good things. How are we wrong?
5: Yeah, Margaret, I think that's exactly right. I think there's a good chance that even if it is a far left candidate who wins in a democratic sweep, that like you said, the government does tend to focus on some of the important issues and some of this gridlock is really eliminated. I also don't think there's as significant a chance, at least in the early going, that a lot of these far left policies that would be more business unfriendly get done.
0: Maybe we even get back to a period of fiscal restraint because now there's no more finger pointing left. You're actually responsible for making the decisions and you have to own them and the repercussions.
3: So one area where we may be wrong is, uh, you know, maybe growth positive for a year or two, presuming you don't have tax hikes in the first year or two, but you have incremental spending, you have perhaps some type of a jubilee on student loan debt. It could be growth positive and, and therefore risk
5: positive for a season. I'd also point out that one of the things we've discussed ad nauseum over the past 12 months is Trump's trade war. If you had a shift in administration and they took on a different sentiment towards globalization, trade, or just generally import taxes, that could also relieve a very large binding constraint for the economy. I don't know if that's enough to overwhelm some of the other concerns, but it is a factor worth noting. Well, the caveat there is the type of
2: damage that the current administration has done to the world's perception of the U.S. in terms of promoting fair trade will probably take more than a new president to simply undo.
3: I haven't heard any Democrats talking about wanting to repeal Trump's tariffs on China. That issue probably isn't going to change, but threatening new tariffs on Europe, et cetera. I mean, all all that presumably goes away.
0: But will it be enough to offset any rollback in the Trump tax cuts for corporations and then any increase in individual tax rates?
4: Yeah, that's the key point, though. But Greg brings up some good points of how if we're talking about how we could be wrong, we've been assuming thus far that a Democrat is going to be negative. But there is a possibility that they implement more positive reforms first. The question is, what do the Democrats push first?
2: Well, let's take a step back, and if we think about what the Trump administration did that was so great for the equity market, the GOP simply financed $1.2, $1.4 trillion of equity upside with Treasury debt by structuring the tax reforms the way that they did. We didn't see any massive run-up in consumption we didn't see an increase in housing. In fact, those two, which are two of the primary drivers to the U.S. economy, weren't able to reprice to a higher plateau because of the corporate tax reforms. There was a little bit done on the individual side. So fast forward to 2021, you see a concerted effort to increase spending on the fiscal side that puts more dollars in the hands of consumers for one reason or another. And we might actually see, unlike the Republicans' tax reform, the Democrats' efforts to stimulate on the fiscal side actually flowing through to the consumer and ultimately real GDP. That's not my base case scenario by any means, but that might be one of the ways in which we get it wrong.
0: I think that's an interesting point, in because Bloomberg has... Something like a trillion dollar infrastructure spending plan as part of his platform.
5: On the topic of Bloomberg, and this is certainly a little bit outside my comfort zone given I'm not a political strategist, but One argument I've heard frequently is the way he's setting up his primary campaign and the way he's investing money is to try to get out ahead and invest in infrastructure, staff, and a lot of these swing states. What that could position him for in particular is even if he's not the leading candidate, he could play somewhat of a kingmaker role where he's already invested in some of these swing states, he already has the setup, and that makes him an even more attractive vice presidential candidate when push comes to shove. Again, a little bit speculative, but given he's not a frontrunner in the original primaries, seeing how he meshes into the sequencing of different political developments in the months to come, I think is going to be a core factor this year.
3: That positions Bloomberg well for a brokered convention.
0: So, John, you raise an interesting point. Bloomberg is not participating in the first four early primaries. He really doesn't come into play until Super Tuesday. And he is spending a lot of money campaigning, television, radio ads, trying to appeal to moderate Democrats. Because he's not even in the first four, how does this impact the market's reaction to the first four? We have this unknown Bloomberg effect that's dangling out there.
5: I think the natural response is that, and both you and Greg have touched on this before, it further muddies the waters. Even if you do have a candidate somewhat come out as a front runner in the original four, there's always the lingering Bloomberg question. So until you get past Super Tuesday, until you see how voters have responded, it's going to be hard for investors to commit directionally to the full policy consequence, just because, as you point out, it's a big unknown and there's very little precedent to try to figure out how this will play out. That's also very
2: consistent with the way presidential politics tends to play out. You have both candidates going to extremes to secure their party's nomination or support, and then once the candidates have been clearly determined there's a race towards the middle. And it might be simply the fact that a Bloomberg or a Bloomberg-type candidate as a VP would accelerate that race towards the middle. But again, I'm definitely getting out over my own analytical skis, as it were.
0: Well, in sticking with being out over analytical skis, it's hard to imagine Bloomberg as the vice president and taking a second role next to any of the Democratic candidates.
3: I think, Margaret, also just looking at little hints that Biden and Sanders have dropped, I think both of them are looking at Kamala Harris as a running mate. Great attack dog and just checks a lot of
4: boxes. But it is interesting. The impact of Bloomberg, a candidate who's expected to have a significant impact on the election, not even being on the ballot in the first four states, is a difficult thing to handicap. And I think the outcome from the first four states is going to be very demonstrative for Bloomberg. If Biden runs away with elections in the first four states, it might well effectively end Bloomberg's candidacy because you have a moderate Democrat already with a demonstrable lead. But if the four early states come back with muddled results, then we go into Super Tuesday where Bloomberg has already invested so much money. He could suddenly become the front runner on March 3rd or at the very least throw the whole primary process into flux. And then we're looking at a brokered convention. So Super
3: Tuesday this year includes both California and Texas. It's got way, way more delegate counts than it ever has before. And the whole race could flip on its head in Bloomberg's uh, direction or somebody else's just on that
2: one date's result. So my sense is that the takeaway at this point is we have a great deal of clarity of how it's all going to play out. The trade is completely obvious. And at the end of the day, it's just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show until the November election.
4: Yeah, I think that about sums it up, Ian.
2: I think we got a beat on this.
0: Thank you to all of our BMO experts and thank you for listening. This concludes Macro Horizons Monthly Episode 12. Please reach out to us with feedback and any ideas on topics you'd like us to tackle. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macro horizons. We'd like to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email at margaret.carens at bmo.com. You can listen to the show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. And we'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating and a review. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative.
1: This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.